This is Acts 24. And I appreciate what Isha was talking about with the conscience, because we're going to pick up more on that with last week. We were talking about consciences, remember last week? And I gave you some references on different types of consciences and stuff. So there's weak consciences, wounded consciences, and defiled consciences, and evil consciences. And worst of all, you can have a seared conscience. So Paul talks in this lesson about having a clear conscience. But we're also going to look at Felix and Tortillas and some other people on how they respond when the, when the truth is heard. So we have accusations happening and we have procrastinations happening. If you can think about when the gospel uh, is... is Uh, spoken. If you go and look at, in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, when he was throwing seeds along the way, the seeds are like the truth, the word of God, the truth. And some of those seeds fell along the path, and nothing happened except the birds came and took them away. Boom. And then some seeds fell on rocky soil, but it just didn't take root down there. It was too hard, and then it just, there was no depth to it, and the sun came out and scorched it. And others were thrown in thorns, which they couldn't really grow up a little bit, but then they were choked out. They didn't produce anything. But then there was some good soil where it dug down good and deep. If we pull out that parable a little bit broader and see the soil is kind of our consciousness, because when we hear the truth, what, what we do with it with seeds fall. What are we going to do with something like that? So keep that in mind as we look at what's happening here in chapter 24. We know that Felix is saying, okay, I'll give you a hearing as soon as your accusers get here. And so in verse 1, we have five days. After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some of the elders and a spokesman one Tortillas, who was pretty much a very <clears throat> high-ranking attorney, going to present the case out there, okay? He had quite a name for himself, and they were going to lay before the governor their case against Paul. So here they are. Five days later, they have gathered. Now, Paul's been staying in the governor's palace, kind of, you know, having it nice there. He wasn't in prison, but he was cap. He was... Uh, couldn't go any place, and he's waiting for them to arrive, and they come all ready to present their case to Felix. And in verse two, when Felix had been, when Tortillas had been summoned, he began to accuse Paul. And here's his accusations. <clears throat> here's how he starts. And you can just kind of see him. We've all watched Perry Mason and stuff, right? <laughs> Since through through you we have enjoyed much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation in every way and everywhere. We accept this with all gratitude. But to deign you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly. Lies, lies, lies. He's starting out with all these lies. 
Let's take a look at who Felix is. Antonius Felix began his life as a slave. He was born into slavery, okay? His brother became a friend of the emperor Claudius. And so through some influence and, you know, kissing up and whatever, he rose in status, okay? He was a conniver. He was a wheeler-dealer. So he was first, as a child, he gained his freedom, and then through intrigue and plotting and deception, he became the first former slave to become a governor of a Roman province. So he was a go-getter. He was, you know, a manipulator. He was someone who very self-motivated, okay? And history, historians write about him that he never lost his slave mentality. They say this, quote, a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. So, what Tortillus was saying to Felix was nothing but a bunch of lies. Tortillus, well, Felix never brought peace and prosperity. There were thousands of Jewish homes that were looted. The people were massacred under his orders of his rules. He was corrupt in his administration. He was hated, hated and despised by the Jews. His wife, we're going to talk about her later, Drusilla, was a teenager. Um, that he pretty much stole her from another king. So this guy wasn't good. So we have flattery here. We have a bunch of flattery and and manipulation happening. What does the Bible tell us about flattery? It's interesting because we don't always see flattery as a sin. But Scripture identifies it as a sin. It's one of those kind of an often neglected sin that people do. But if you really think about it, why do we flatter people? to motivate them, selfishness, to get our own way. So, Romans 16, 18 says this about flattery. Speaks to us about those who do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. People can be, simple people can be motivated and deceived through flattery. Jude 1.16 speaks about this, um, whose mouth, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Okay? In the Proverbs, there are four different times in Proverbs that it connects flattery with the sin of sexual immorality. Many people have been seduced into immorality through simple flattery. Gullible little girls. He told me he loved me. He just wanted me to pre. He told me I was beautiful. I never heard that before. Proverbs 20:19 says, "He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with one who flatters with his lips." Which what does that tell us? Don't make flatterers your close friends. And the last one I have is Psalm 78, 36, says we can even flatter God. Quote, Nevertheless, they flattered God with their mouth, and they lied to him with their tongue. When we give God insincere praise, 
It is flattery, and God does not want it. So flattery isn't good because of the motivation behind it. And many times it's lies, um, but it's for, our own, it's for the person's own self-advancement. It's meant to be deceiving and things. So, so here's Tortilus up there with flattering, lies coming straight out of his mouth. So let's carry on and see what more lies are coming out of his mouth because he goes into the specific charges against Paul in verse 5. For we have found... This man, a plague, one who stirs up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to defame the temple, but we seized him, which was a lie. Who seized him? They didn't. The Romans seized him. So this guy is just filled, filled with lies. So when they say that he was a troublemaker or a plague... They're saying that he's someone who stirs up trouble. A plague is like an infectious disease. So he's presenting to Felix that if Paul were set free, he would spread turmoil and disorder and rebellion in the Roman Empire. You don't want that to happen. He refers to him as a ringleader of the Nazarenes. Now, he could have said, he could have chosen the word, he's a leader but he chooses the word ringleader, a ringleader. You know, remember good old circuses? You have the circus, you have the in the ring, and, and you have the ringleader in there getting them all whipped up and all, you know, orchestrating and getting them all in a f- frenzy and stuff. He's a ringleader. He's someone who gets everything going and moving. So they called him a ringleader. Of the Nazarenes, oh my gosh, poor reputation, so, you know, socially Economically, just the low lowlifes, despised people. Remember in John 1, Nathaniel asked Philip, can anything good come from Nazarene? Okay, not a good reputation. And then the final charge was that he desecrated the temple. Okay, which this was based on the rumor back in chapter 21 where they falsely accused Paul of bringing Gentiles into the temple. Okay. So they distorted the truth. They didn't arrest him. You know, the Romans did. He's just, there's, there's just lies he's presented out here. He's talking to Felix with lies. He's talking, it's just, his whole case is lies. Father of lies. Who's the father of lies? Satan. So he ends his um, accusations here in verse 8 by saying, to Felix, by examining him yourself, you will be able, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. And the Jews all agreed with it. They all affirmed what's going on. So, oh, Felix, you too, you too, great, wonderful Felix, will see that all these things are, that we accuse him of are true. So, the question is, do do you think... Tortilus had a clear conscience. Based on some of our definitions here, you can have a weak one, a wounded one, a defiled one, an evil one, and a seared conscience. I would like to venture the conscience is the, the soil that truth is kind of trying to get its root, roots in. He had bad soil for sure, but I think his conscience was clear. Because his motivation was only to present 
this wonderful uh, uh, case that they had. His motive, his, his goal was only to get up there, well-dressed, articulate, and, and, and lay out the case that they had in very wonderful words. I think he sat down after that, and I think he did have a clear conscience. He had a clear conscience because what the goals were were wrong. He probably was somebody who had an evil conscience that needed to be washed, or in Titus 1.15, it talked about having a defiled conscience. But either way, he had a conscience that he felt at peace with. Not a clear conscience like we would think of as true, but his conscience didn't bother him. Maybe I should make that a little bit clearer. A clear conscience is when we're good, we're right with God and everything like that. But in his conscience, he didn't have any turmoil because he was defiled, it was lies. His whole goal was just to do what he needed to do there. And so he could have a basic peace of mind. Because if you define conscience as a drive towards peace of mind, if you're bothered by something, if he was bothered the night before by saying, I got to make this case, how am I going to make this case good? What should I wear? All this stuff. What can I say to Felix to butter him up? And if he gets all his ducks in a row like that, he's going to feel good about what he's doing. He has peace of mind about that. Okay, so let's get clarity here. It's not a clear conscience before God. Okay, so... So he didn't have any problem. He could go to bed at night and he could be okay, all right? But we want to have a clear conscience before God, a conscience that is good soil, um, where we've been um, forgiven, confess our sins, forgiven. Our name is written in the book of life. We've made things right with God, and we strive to keep that relationship pure and good and holy. That's a clear conscience. People can have a peace of mind, but it's a peace that the world gives, not the peace that comes from God. Does that make sense? Okay. So he sits down feeling good about himself sitting over there. And then it's Paul's turn to give his defense. And he is very happy to get up in front of Felix. He says, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Okay, Paul is not using flattery here, but he used using facts. Felix has been the governor for many years. So Felix should know what's going on with the Romans, with the Jews, you know, in, within the Roman Empire. He should be aware of those things, okay? But there's no flattery happening here. He wants to give his offense because he knows he has done nothing wrong. Give me a chance. I'm happy to tell you what's going on here. And he tells Felix in verse 11, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find any disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues. And neither can they prove to you that they, what they now bring up against me. So they're accusing him of being a rebel rouser. And he uses the fact that it's only been 12 days. Why would he say that? Well, verse 1 says he's, for five days he's been in the um, Caesarea prison. Plus there was one day when he was in prison in Jerusalem. That adds up to six. So... 12 minus 6, we have 6 days. He had 6 days to stir up trouble. How much trouble do you think someone can stir up in 6 days? 
And during those six days, what was he doing? Paul says he was worshiping. Let's carry on and see. So he gives a timeline to pretty much lay out that this is kind of impossible, what they're, t- what they're accusing me of. I mean, it's really not f- even feasible what they're accusing me of. Verse 14, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the, and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. And after several years, I come to bring alms to the nation. He's a peacemaker. He, he's, he's growing the church to present offerings. And while I was doing this, they found me. They found me purified in the temple, not defiling the temple, but purifying himself in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, these people that have been plaguing him, They ought to be here before you and to make an accusation. They should have some, they should have anything against me, um, or else these men themselves will say what's wrong doing the one thing that we mentioned last week where he's, you know, talked about the resurrection, try to pit the two groups against each other, and that sort of going. He makes alluded to that and everything. But he's basically saying that the Jews from Asia aren't even here. The Sanhedrin who's sitting here right now and Ananias, they don't know. So where are my accusers, really? So he's not a ringleader. Paul is saying that he's a follower of the way. He's a follower, not a ringleader. And the way has common ground with these men that are accusing him now. He acted in fulfillment of the law. Um, Jesus is a fulfillment of the law. So in reality, he was not deviating from Judaism, but he was following the true Judaism. We looked at that when we were in, I think, John or something. The true Jew. So, And he says that he strives to maintain a clear conscience before God and man. He keeps himself in check. He keeps himself in check. Strives to do the right thing. We're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to deliberately make a mistake. But, ooh, we've got to confess that. We've got to make that right. We've got to continue to keep ourselves in check. That's a clear conscience before God. It isn't a seared conscience. It's not a wounded conscience. It's not an evil conscience. It's not a, a defiled conscience. It's a conscience that is constantly being maintained. The soil of his consciousness is always being tilled and weeded out and everything and cleared away. So the truth the, the, the revelations about God that come can take root and grow. So, he's not a rebel riser. He's not a plague. Um, he's not a ringleader. He's a follower. And the third accusation, we desecrated the temple. He's saying, I was in there purifying myself. There's no evidence. And the strongest point that he had was, where are the people, the eyewitnesses who really accuse him of any of this? So, Paul has a clear conscience. He cheerfully can get up and tell him what's going on. The soil from which the truth of God falls on is good soil. Anyways, so here's Felix. What do you think 
um, Felix is thinking now. Because he's not a stupid man, Felix. I mean, you have to be pretty clever to go from a slave to being a first Roman governor there is, um, you know. And so he's there. Felix is a procrastinator. Procrastinator, okay? He's going to avoid making a legal decision, and he's going to avoid making a spiritual decision, okay? So Felix says in verse 22, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, he put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I'll decide the case then. And he gave orders to the centurion to... Paul should be kept in custody, but have liberty. So Paul's friends could come and visit him, and and he was being well taken care of and everything. He just pretty much put him off to the side. Well, Lysias never arrived. He never got down there. And the Jews from Asia never showed up. Okay? Felix is like trying to walk a middle ground. He wants the, you know, he, he needs to keep peace in the Roman Empire, or else he gets in trouble from the big man on top. So, to release Paul would mean the Jews would get really upset. Um, but to keep, but to, to kill Paul off, you know, he's not sure he can do that or not. Because he, he has a little bit of a, you know, what's he going to base it on or whatever, because he's not a stupid man. So he just kind of takes care of Paul, generous liberties and stuff. And so, verse 24. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. And he sent for Paul and heard him speak about the faith in Jesus Christ. Why do you think he did this? He could have just left him down there and ignored it. Did he have a curiosity about what Paul was saying? Could it be that Drusilla, who's probably 20 years old here, beautiful sister of Herod, Agrippa, you know, Paul had seduced her away from this other king. This was his third wife, so he's an old man. You, we know how old men kind of go after the 20-year-olds, right? i got to make my wife happy, you know, and whatever, anything she wants, you know, and like a trophy wife and stuff. And it could be that, he, that Drusilla wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Could be, we don't know. It could be that he's trying to make big man with Paul, like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with the Jews. See, I have a Jewish wife. I mean, we don't know. But we do know this. We know that he asked for to hear from Paul. And Paul came and spoke to him about the faith in Christ Jesus. And when you went, when someone went before the governor... It wasn't in this private setting where, hey, let's just come to my office and we'll talk. No. This was masses of people. This was the governor's court. This was, you know, Roman centurion. This was people, you know, all his cabinet. I don't know how many people were there. You could go into history and probably find out. But there were a lot of people in this room when they called in Paul to come and talk to him about this. I bet you there was some good soil in that room, you think? Yep, other people were hearing this argument. So Paul has this bold preaching in verse 25, and as he reasoned, we heard this before, he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment. Felix gets alarmed. Well, these are hitting right at home with Felix, isn't he? He's an adulterer, and he's just a liar and a schemer. 
but there's going to be a judgment. So Felix gets alarmed. He says, go away for the present. And when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Procrastinator. He didn't want to deal with it. What happened? His conscience started to get perked a little bit, didn't it? And he didn't like it. And the conscience is we try to do things to get a peace of mind. So, okay, I can't. what am I going to do to get a peace of mind? Well, the best way, if he was on good soil, the peace of mind would be to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. But he wasn't in good soil. So what does he do? He, he pushes him away. He hardens his heart. What does it talk about in Romans 1? Romans 1, you know. If they do it enough times, what happens? Romans 1, 19, um, no, 18. And for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Keep pushing the truth down, pushing it down. For what can be known about God is plain to them, but because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely the eternal powers and divine nature, clear, they have clearly perceived them ever since creation. So they are without an excuse. So if you push it down, if you suppress the truth, if you push it away, if you procrastinate, eventually God gives them over. He gives them over. So, doesn't have a clear conscience, but he's got a pretty, pretty hardened conscience there got an evil conscience that needs to be washed from Hebrews 10:22 so he gets afraid he suppresses he rejects the truth of the gospel and he has peace of mind now because you have to deal with that right you have a peace of mind so felix is a man who sees himself above the law we know now that he had him come in a couple times, couldn't handle it anymore, go away. Famous last words, when I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. He probably went to hell with that comment. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. So he would send to him often, you know, kind of like, let's milk this or whatever. Let's get something, maybe something from Paul, or he's getting another chance at Paul. I don't know how any of that bribery works and he would continue to converse with them. So many, many, many times these other people that were around Felix heard the truth of the gospel. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by um, Porus, Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. That little statement lets us know that Felix is a lawbreaker. He breaks Roman laws too. The type of custody that Paul was in while waiting to be tried, you could, it could only last for two years. They make a point of that saying this here. So he was past that, remained in this little uh, prison thing um, without a trial, more than two years. So he's breaking Roman law by doing this. He's a lawbreaker. He's above the law. He's got pride. I think he knew that Paul was innocent, but he refused to release him, just like Jesus was before Pilate. Pilate knew that Jesus was innocent. I washed my hands of this innocent man. So, rejection of the truth. When they know what is right, 
but refuse to act on it. Not a good place to be. Go away. Go away. I don't want to deal with this now. I don't have time to listen to the gospel. I don't have time. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. I have to clean up my act. I have to. We hear it all the time, people procrastinating. So, did he have a clear conscience? Not a clear one before God, but he had a conscience that didn't bother him anymore because it was, it was a hardened one. So Felix dies. He dies, and he's going to appear before the real judge, the one true judge, a judge who doesn't postpone sentences, a judge who doesn't take bribes. And as far as we know from these scriptures, Felix is probably in hell because he procrastinated. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So this is a talking about when people hear the gospel and aren't believers, what they're going to do with it. Are they going to grasp it? Are they going to go along with it for a while? And then it's not the cool thing to do anymore. So, the, you know, the rocky soil, the thorns come in, it's not cool. I mean, there's a lot of people out there like that, that go along with Christianity and speak Christianese. But then as soon as things get rough or they get made fun of or it's not the popular thing to do, oops, you know, I'm not cool with that anymore. And the, and the seeds of truth never got down deep. Seeds are only in the good soil. So all believers have a good soil. But we get stuff in our soil all the time. It is that time of year (laughs) where we have to pull the weeds out. Don't you hate this? I spent yesterday pruning trees, you know, just taking off the dead stuff, pruning it down, tending things. It's a constant doing, raking, hoeing, sorting, whatever. Um, it's, it's It's a maintaining. And we have to maintain our our mind to keep our peace of mind with God. Because we have a conscience, we also have the Spirit of God that indwells us, that nudges us all the time. On Molly, you got some weeds growing over here. Or worse yet, inside the house, which I don't like. Molly, you got cobwebs over here. You know, you <laughs> rather pull a weed than a cobweb. But we are, it's a constant maintenance that we need to do, tending to our gardens. So... Having a clear conscience. I hope I cleared that up. I hope I cleared up the clear conscience thing. That we can have, someone can go through life and just be honky-dory okay with who they are and have no need for God because they have a peace of mind because of their, the bad soil where no, no seed or no truth has come in. But when we have a good soil and we have the truth coming down and we get a unsettled, um, kind of at, un, at e, un, not at ease, like with anxiety, something's just off. We need to attend to that and see if there's something in us that we need to deal with so we can have a better, clear conscience before God. So um, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing the last song. And I'm going to have Isha help me with this because she told me I needed to start on a C, and I don't know what she means by that, so... <laughs> God, we just thank you that you, you love us and you, you just hold us in the palm of your hand. And you are the good gardener. You are the overseer. You're the, the, um, 
vine keeper and you you prune us and you care for us but you also want us to be keep ourselves in check as paul did so help us don't let us get away with anything truly god don't let us get away with anything we love you jesus amen